Everybody's wondering what's Dan doing on stage, if we want to call this a stage. Um, so it seems like whenever Matthew finishes up a book of the Bible, um, and it, he always asks me, hey, he's like, can you preach for a week? And I always kind of contemplate back and forth, like, you know, what is it that God has laid on my heart? And usually I'll come up with a specific lesson. Um, today's going to be a little different. Um, so I'm going to start. Um, you guys are going to get to know me a little bit, uh, a lot of it. Um, everybody, thank you, Robin. Thank everything, Robin. He, he doesn't get the round of applause that Tucker does a lot of times, so, but he deserves it. All right, you guys are going to get to know me. So I am going to tell you guys my story. Um, I don't know how, uh, how many kids are in this room, so I'll try to give it the, the, the PG version. Um, I don't think I could keep it to a G version, but... PG version, I may have to crank it to a G because PG now, like de depending on what movie you see, like PG might as well be R nowadays. Um, all right, so um, I want to give you some statistics. Did you know every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted? One out of six American women have either been raped or have attempted to been raped. 3% of American men have been raped or attempted to have been raped in their lifetime. Statistics between the years of 2009 and 2013 estimate about 63,000 children a year are victims of sexual abuse. That's about 10% of children. About when you look at it and you kind of break it out in demographics, um, girls make up 10 to 17%. Again, they, they have to estimate um, because they don't know exactly how much it happens. Um, but they, I don't know, some wild, smart statisticians do this. About, about 3.8 to 4.6 of boys, uh, which is about 1 in 25, are sexually abused. Um, and just so I know, that is contact abuse only. So that is not, you know, nowadays, that is not sexting. That is not... Um, Pornography, that is not voyeurism, that is true, just contact abuse, okay? Um, and it's hard to wrap your mind around why. Um, when someone comes and tells you, hey, look, you know, this has happened to me, and it's like this happened to me at a very young age, you always ask, like, how, how does God let that happen? And that's, that's a common thing that most Atheists, um, specifically atheists, will, will question. It's like, well, how's a good God let those things happen? Um, why would a loving God allow such terrible things happen to such innocent people? Um, it was kind of um, coincidental that when we finished James, it kind of ended on confessing, Matthew was talking last week about confessing sins and talking about what's, you know, to, to our brothers, to our sisters in Christ, and to God, you know, what we have done and where we have fallen short. Um, you know, we all sin, we all fall short. Um, I've been forgiven of my sins, but I think it's very important for me to tell you guys my life. Um, and I thought it would be good to start um, talking out of the book of Job. Um, we'll, be, we'll be talking reading out a little bit out of Job, and I'll be kind of weaving that in with my life and who I am. 
Um, so we'll be reading out of Job chapter 1, uh, but before we do that, I'll talk a little bit about my, my life early, early years. Um, so at a very young age, I need to start a timer here to make sure I don't go too long. Um, at a very young age, I was, uh, I was sexually abused. Um, nobody close in family or anything like that, but I was sexually abused uh, by multiple people at different times. Um, when I say very young age, I, I can't really remember exactly when, you know, when you're a kid, like they all kind of rolled, all the years rolled together. Um, I think I was around five to seven, uh, somewhere in there. Um, I was exposed to pornography in the 80s, right? I was born in 82, so I think around 87, 88, somewhere around there, I was exposed to pornography. Um, it's, not as e- it's not as easy as to access it today, um, but I was exposed to it. But I was one of those 3% of boys, men. Uh, that was abused, um, you know, sexually abused through contact. Um, but other than that, when you look at my life, I was a pretty average boy, okay? Uh, I was always, you know, I was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid. Um, I was skinny, didn't have an ounce of meat on me. I had a, many, many years of working out just to even look like I have any sort of a build. Uh, I was an average kid. I feel like I've been five foot ten ever since I was five years old. So I don't think I've really changed. Um, my wife says I don't really age that much. We saw, we saw some pictures the other day, and I was like, wow, I do kind of look different. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm just kind of an average kid. Um, I played saxophone. And I started, picked it up in fifth grade. I was, that's right, Austin, I saw that fist bump. Uh, I picked it up in fifth grade, and so I was, I was just an average kid playing in the band. Um, I was... The, uh, I always say I was the dumb one in the smart class. So like now, like they call the enrichment classes. Uh, it, now it's called honors, you know, AP, whatever you want to call it. I was the dumb one in those, in those classes. So what I mean by that, like all the kids were getting A's and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm the one getting D's back, C's back on the papers. But I was too smart to be with the, I'll call the other academic kids. So I didn't really fit in anywhere. Like, you know. I had friends who were all smart in the smart class. I had some friends in the, the academic classes, and, but I really didn't quite fit in with any of them. Um, I met this girl in sixth grade, and I really liked her. Eventually married her. Um, you remember the, four, the desks that you had, like the individual desks when you're in elementary school, and they can like, put them together in squares of four? Well, Carrie sat across from me. Um, so that's when I met my lovely wife. Um, she knew I was the one as soon as she saw me. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, all through that average, everything average on the surface, um, I was that kid who, you know, had magazines and all those things, so you could just picture how you, that's the X version. Um, but I was that kid. Um, played the saxophone, average kid, super average. Um, so I'm going to read out of Job 1, um, read a couple verses, and then we'll get back into my life a little bit. All right, Job 1, I'm going to read verse 1 through 3, and then we'll skip down a little bit. All right, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was a blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. 
and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Um, so he's an upright man. He's a blameless man. Um, so picture the, the most perfect person in your mind. Like, you're like, dude, that, does, that dude doesn't do anything wrong. He's got everything at his fingertips. Um, man, I want to be that guy. You know, they, there's, there's been a lot of work done in saying how many, if you took all the, the livestock that Job had and you were to give a person that livestock today, that livestock, he'd be worth just on the livestock alone about $56 million. So picture your $56 million heir that lives on the street, right? That's this guy, all right? Um, so just trying to put it in perspective of how wealthy and how much stuff this guy had. All right, I'm going to skip down to verse 9. We'll read 9 through 11. So you got a situation where Satan's talking to God. He goes before the Lord. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Um, so it's interesting. So God allows Satan to kind of have his way with all this stuff. So picture that $56 million heir, and um, what we read about in Job 1, 13 through 19, is that a group called the Sabians come, and they take his oxen and donkeys. They kill all the servants that were looking over them. Fire burns up his sheep, and the servants who were looking over them. The Chaldeans steal his camels, killing the servants that were looking over them. And then, if that's not enough, um, his oldest son's house collapsed, uh, killing his sons and daughters. So there's that $56 million heir um, with all that stuff, and instantly, what seems like overnight, it's all gone. Not just his stuff, his kids, right? Um, and then, and then Job responds to this situation in verse 20. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with the wrong. Um, that's really hard. Um, I would, I, that would be hard for me. So I picture everything I have. God has blessed me incredibly. Like I picture like if he took away everything I had, took away my wife, took away my kids, took away, you know, the money that I have, the whatever, you name it, right? Um, my new uh, 2021 Camry, right? I'd be pretty ticked off. I come out and like pull it off the lot and it's somebody rams it with a car. I, I'd be like, <laughs> come on. I love my 2021 Camry, by the way. Um, but I think about, uh, you know, I think about the question, how does God let this happen, right? Why would he let Satan do this to a man who is the, the one that everybody wants to be like, right? Um, and it makes you question, you're like, God, why do you let, you know, I'm thinking about my story. Um, just so you know, um, I've never done this without, without crying, telling the story, um, so you're going to have to deal with it. The, the, 
You know, the Bible says that the Lord gives us a new heart, and when he gave me a new heart, it went from super solid to, like, super solid, and it's just a squishy part of the center, and it only comes out when I give my testimony, so you're going to have to deal with it. Um, so, in high school, this is kind of cool, um, when I was growing up, I've, you know, everybody gets that senior year, junior year in high school, and said, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And I, and I sat there one night, and I prayed. I was like, God, what do you, what do you want me to do with my life? And... Um, he gave me a dream that night. Gosh, I can't even get past that part. Um, he gave me a dream that night, and he picked and he and I saw myself playing my saxophone. You know, if you picture like the light shining behind a person, you can just only see the black around the silhouette. And I was playing this song, and um, and it, so I was like, it was either going to be engineering or music. That's why I told him I was like, what, you know, tell, God, tell me which one it was. So that's the dream he gave me. Um, so then I went in engineering. I went to West Virginia University, uh, got a degree in engineering. Um, I guess my eyes were more set on engineering and wealth and all that stuff. Um, moved to Georgia. Uh, I was really smart. The smartest decision I ever made was got Carrie to move down and marry me. Um, one of the best decisions I ever made uh, next to giving my life to Christ. Um, joined a worship team in church, um, and all I knew was to do was to play the saxophone. And uh, so I joined a worship team. I was like, this is kind of cool. I get to play music again. And I was sitting one time, you know, they, you know, some churches, we, we don't do this here, but a lot of churches will have like the special song for the tithe or whatever they want to call it, special or the tithe song or whatever. And, and they would rotate around different people in the band. Hey, this week's your week. Good luck. Figure it out. Um, so some people would sing and whatever. Um, so I got up on stage and I started playing the saxophone. And I had forgotten about my dream. And in that moment, as I was playing, God put the dream back in my, my mind that I hadn't seen in five or six years. And then I realized that I had asked him, I was like, I didn't ask him. I, didn't, I looked back at my prayer and I didn't ask him, God, what do you want me to do for career? I asked him, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And it just showed me God's sovereignty that no matter what I did, no matter where I go, what decisions I made, God had me right where he wanted me. Because I was able to see that vision that God gave me to fruition. Um, but again, I want to re, you know, focus back. I was still in the bondage of being addicted to pornography. Um, sinful, sinful desires that one has. Um, I think it's quite natural, right? To have sin, to have sexual desires. Um, I had sinful desires, um, all the way back from, I attribute to what God al allowed me to, to happen to me when I was a child. But today's statistics, sadly, it was a pretty normal marriage. I was doing, looking at all that stuff. Again, I'll try to PG it down for you. Um, Carrie knew, like we kind of had discussions back and forth, um, discussions. Um, I struggled with it. Um, you know, uh, according to, if you look up covenanteyes.com, it's a really cool website, cool group that was started in 2000. They track URLs visited by computers. 
and generate statistics around them. So all statistics around, um, you know, Covenant Eyes. So, you know, 28,256 people are watching pornography every second. So just think of how many people just watched it within the past three seconds. Um, 96% of young adults are either neutral, accept, or encourage its use. Only 55% of adults think it's wrong. So I'm not saying this applies to us, but if we were the world, I could split it right here and half the group is going to think it's okay. Only 43% of young adults think it's bad for society. So here's some interesting statistics. So studies have shown that the rate of divorce doubles when men have a pornography addiction. Fascinating. Um, University of Oklahoma professor named Dr. Samuel Perry um, reported that the frequency of viewing pornography is the second strongest predictor of poor marital quality in subsequent years. Second only to their spouse's relational commitment. Thank goodness for my wife's commitment to our marriage. Um, so there was one time where I was driving down from South Carolina back to Georgia and Carrie calls me and she kind of finds out that I'm still looking at this stuff. And the words came out of my mouth for the first time in my entire life. And I said, she's like, why can't you stop? And I, and I told her, I'm addicted. Um, It was the first time I've ever said that to myself. Well, years passed. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if it was quite years, um, but we had we had left our current church where we were leading worship, and we went to Refuge Point in Georgia, where Matthew was preaching. Heather and Robin were the worship leaders, and Karen and I were musicians and with a group of friends. And we did, if you ever heard about a Celebrate Recovery program, we did the worship for those Celebrate Recovery programs, and I was able. I was given the opportunity to give my testimony. And there was only one person in that room who knew my testimony really was, and that was Carrie. Um, so I gave my testimony, similar to what I'm doing here. But if you picture the room that I'm in, it is a room full of, I'll call it acknowledged addicts, people that... Maybe, there, maybe it's not pornography. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was, you know, you name it. It was an ad addiction of that type, uh, some sort, right? Um, and when I, when I gave my testimony, it was like all that pressure, all that burden that was shameful at the time, it was like it was lifted off. And I think about what God does to us. I was messed up for so long. And the thing that messed me up, the thing that burned me down, when he lifted it off of me, it was the thing that was my weapon. It was the thing that I was able to use that God had let me be burdened with 
And when he finally, when I turned it over to him, it became a weapon for something that somebody else needed. I was able to look around that room at every, all, these, all these men and women with addictions, and I realized that moment, that's the why. That was the reason. When I was a five-year-old, seven-year-old boy, those things happened to me. That was the reason why God let, how would a God let that happen? How would a good guy let that happen to someone so innocent? You see, I only saw this much of history, but when I came to that moment and, and he relieved that burden from me, I was able to see the why. You know, um, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3, 10 through 11, he says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So why does God let this stuff happen? God uses our trash. You know, uh, we, everybody has to say, it's like, hey, look, well, what's one man's trash is another man's treasure. It couldn't be closer to the truth for what God does with us. Um, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm almost done, so you guys can come down. You see, I was an average kid. It's just an average kid. I was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid who played the saxophone, who, you know, dumb one in the smart class, smart one in the academic class. I don't use the dumb class. It's not right either. Um, but I was just an average kid. Um, and God let those, those people take my innocence and forever impact my future relationships. He let me go through those horrible things. Even to the point where it burdened my marriage. And I sit there and I'm like, in the middle of that storm, in the middle of all those years, I question, why would he allow that to happen? Well, I found out. I don't remember how old we were. Um probably 2015, not that long ago, nine years ago, God has completely radically changed my life. Um, and I think about, you know, if you told me 10 years ago, Dan, this is what you'll be doing, I'd say you were crazy and I'd run. Because how could a God use somebody who's in the middle of this 10 years ago? You know, um, I'm not saying I am not condoning an addiction of some sort. You know, an addiction that, you know, when I was in the middle of it, something you know, I wanted, I desired. Um, just because I wanted it didn't make it right. All right? And just because it wasn't right didn't mean God couldn't use it for good. 
And that's the gospel message. You know, we've all had stories. Maybe yours is similar. Maybe a portion of my story is similar to yours. Maybe your story is completely different, but the end story is the same. We're not worthy. Never have been. Wherever you were before you met Christ, or you knew who Christ was when you turned your life over to Christ, whoever you were before, you were just as filthy as I was, just as lost, just as burdened. But because he can use it, you're like, why was, why was I like that? Why would he let me be like that? He can use you and your testimony the same way he uses mine. You know, you guys never heard this story of mine before this, but you I'm just make this up. You may think, dang, that guy's got it together. Hey, because of me. And now I don't have it all together. We all struggle with stuff all the time. Um, but by the grace of God, I'm clean. Mm. So I'm going to ask you three questions, and then we'll pray and I'll let these guys take over and play some music. Here's a question for you. I come up here and be the best person with words, best speaker you've ever heard. I could be the worst speaker you ever heard. doesn't matter. Here's the question. What are you going to do? It's easy to look at a person and say, man, that person had it bad or that person's really messed up. But the gospel message is for you too. What is God calling you out of? Whether it's addiction, pornography, whether it's, um, you know, sin within your marriage, whether it's maybe you're younger, you're not married yet, and you have issues. Um, what's God calling you out of? And then, what you can't see sometimes when you're in the middle of it is you don't know what God's calling you into. Because 10 years ago, God was like, this is what I'm calling you into. And I, first time in my life, I think God was a liar. Let's pray. God, we ask you to reveal yourself to us. Um, help us to see the gospel in a new way. And when we say gospel is good news, Lord, it's sometimes it's easier for us to to forget that it's good news. It's great news. Sometimes we just kind of put it in this can and say, oh, that's the gospel. Man, is it good. It's such good news. I pray that you would remind us that we're in a fallen world and sometimes you let these things happen. But if, for those of us that love you, you are working it all out for our good. Whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, whether it's marital problems, whether it's animosity in relationships, even within our church or our families, we're asking you to come fight for us. Pray that you would reveal to us that you are, that you see it beginning to end. And we're just a page in this book and you've already read it. Help to give us 
faith and strength through salvation in Jesus and that alone. Through grace alone, through by faith alone. In your name we pray. Amen.